Yesterday, I heard about a podcast called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. And as a fan of Harry Potter, I was immediately interested in the topic. Also, the title of the podcast gave away that it was going to discuss some of her comments about sexual identity and gender. And I was open to hearing both sides of the argument. Going into it, I didn't know uh, what the host felt about J.K. Rowling, whether it was going to be pro or anti or neutral. Uh, and what I found was a podcast that is deeply inspired by freedom of speech. The freedom of speech that allows for all of us to have different views of the world without trying to silence others. And that's a kind of freedom of speech that is deeply appealing to me. I have my own struggles when I think about certain areas of identity. And many of you don't know, but I was raised by a mother who is a lesbian. My sister is a lesbian. Uh, and so these kind of things have been at the center of my consideration for as long as I've been alive. There was a time when I was fervently uh, a Christian and I tried to convince my mom that she was going to hell. And that probably didn't feel good for her to hear her son being caustic and very teenage boy in the first place. But she didn't completely abandon me, um, nor did my sister. They gave me room to experience life and stayed close enough to me that as I started to question some of my own values and beliefs, they were there to have conversations with me. I don't know that, that either of them fully trust me, but I do believe that they see a person who has had the opportunity to learn and change with new information. And I think that's what the podcast, um, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, is all about, is if we silence people, we don't give them the opportunity to learn and change. I also understand, and I think the podcast does a good job of, of making it clear, that some level of speech can be highly destructive, and so it's good to be loud and to condemn hateful views and perspectives that can do harm and stoke the fires of destruction. Incredibly difficult topic, and many people will have different feelings about what is the right side of history to be on regarding J.K. Rowling. I'm not even going to say one way or the other, though I guess the fact that I love her books and I'm delighted that my son loves her books probably suggests that I'm at least sympathetic to her. It's more nuanced, and I don't need to get into that at the moment, but I love the podcast. Highly recommend you listen to it if you're looking for something. It's just seven episodes, I think, so it's one you could quickly binge just about the length of an audiobook. And moving on to audiobooks. You've heard me talking about this lately. I have the first two audiobooks of the Luke and Time Mysteries coming out sooner than you even realize, as in June sooner. And those are available right now for pre-order, just $10. That's the same price as one month of Audible, uh, where you would only get a single credit. So you're getting double the value that you would for a month of Audible. Uh, and these books are read by X.E. Sands. Look her up if you'd like. She is an award-winning. She's won the highest awards in audiobook world for her performance. Uh, she's performing these. It's a delight to work with her. I heard her reading the work of Chuck Wendig and thought, wow, that is Luke. That voice is Luke to me. And so I had to have her. And I was shocked when she replied and was eager to work with me. So uh, books that I'm really proud of being read by a celebrity in my mind. Um, so excited 
to share these with you. You can buy them. But I also wanted to let you know, if you're not in a place where you want to financially support my work, something you could do that would be unbelievably helpful would be to recommend these books to your local library system. Libraries are one of the main supporters of authors that we don't think about often enough, but I'm a user of a program called Overdrive. I think it's going to be Libby forever going forward. I don't like Libby's format quite as well as I liked Overdrive, but it's the exact same in terms of catalog. So uh, if you are a library user, you recognize both of those names pretty quickly. If not, you're missing out on a lot of free audiobook content that you can download and consume ebooks as well. The library is amazing and how much digital resources it has. It's a pity that more people aren't using it. And the thing is, if just 10% of the libraries around the country decided to buy and add my audiobooks to their catalog, I would more than pay for the cost of producing these books. So you don't even have to pull any money out of your pocket to support me. Just go to your local library and recommend these books to your library. If you don't know how to do that and you want more information, just shoot me a reply in the show notes. If you're already subscribed to Substack, it's pretty easy. Just click on the email you get. It'll take you right to the post and then comment, hey, I'd love to know how to recommend this to my library. Uh, And I will also put something in the show notes just to give you a walkthrough of the whole process. Maybe you're interested in getting more audiobook content for free. I'll let you know how to get signed up there uh, and talk about this further in the coming weeks and months. There is a very tangible way that we can help each other to move forward and see our success mutually insured. Boy, that sounds really technical. My guest on the podcast today is Kirk Ross, host of uh, Talk in the Attic. It's a fantastic podcast. There's another one you should listen to. Similar to my own in many ways, better than mine in many ways, and just all around fun. He is a friend of Christopher Talents, and we connected through Chris. Chris is a co-host on this episode. We start talking about drugs and the impact of creativity that drugs has on us. Really loved one point that Kirk made about how for him, Marijuana allows him to see the humor in things that might otherwise be too tragic to laugh at. That's cool. That is a really cool thing. And I don't think that you should underestimate the power of mind-altering substances to give us more empathy in this world. Of course, if you're an addict, uh, if you struggle with addiction at any level, I'm absolutely not recommending the use of drugs. But I'm also saying that if you are the kind of person who has been sober your entire life and feels like mind-altering substances are bad, 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 and that people who talk about them and enjoy them are somehow inferior human beings uh, or leaning on crutches, I think you misunderstand what is going on. Sugar is a drug. And you've probably heard this before and you scoff at it and say, well, no, not in the same way. But they actually have done brain scans on babies before the first taste of the mother's milk, largely because of sugar, hits the lining of their mouth. It reads the same way on a brain scan as does the first use of heroin. So if you don't think sugar's a drug, you just don't remember the first time you tried it. The podcast is so much more than just a discussion of drugs. In fact, the the next 60 minutes or so is a delightful conversation about creativity and its role in our lives and making meaning of the world. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Kirk Ross. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, the RBM is the antidote. 
that reminds me of a soothing cigarette enjoyed with friends under the night sky. The RBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and the spotlight were for bands. What chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. But what does the RBM stand for? Three rabbit bats manipulated. Thirsty Rolexes bling mightily. Or twin racing blazing mopeds. You decide. The man, the myth, the legend. Woo! <laughs> How's it going, dude? I'm good, man. How about you? Uh, going well. Going well. I'm excited for this. I like the facial hair. <laughs> it's just laziness embodied, you know. Uh. Lazy, laziness manifested, but thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going for your look. Oh, there you go. I saw you clean shaven not too long ago. I was like, what happened? He looks 10. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, part of it's because I'm just getting a little chubbier too, so this kind of helps camouflage it. That's what I was yeah. just about to say. I was like, for me, uh, every time I cut my, my facial hair, I gain 60 pounds. It's really weird. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, did I used to have those jowls way out there? <laughs> exactly. It's awful. It's really bad. Uh, I quit, yeah. I quit, I quit alcohol, not because I feel like, uh, I don't love being drunk, but because I was gaining weight at such a ridiculously rapid speed. Um, yeah. I was actually calculating the bills too. My wife and I were having this conversation the other day, walking the dog out at the, the, park in town and i was like you know it got to a point where i started counting and i was like okay on a, a weekend day we can get a, a handle or a 750 of a fireball and split a 750 of fireball and still drink 12 beers and be walking around like you know just doing our thing and i was like economically that's insane also my liver has got to just be the size of texas in there yeah <laughs> <It's> like, so <laughs> yeah i think we're all i think we're all reformed booze hounds in here then okay yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I I had a, like uh, I actually did. I had it's some enlarged liver shit. So I had my liver enzymes were high, and then I, by the way, I saw that your podcast is rated clean. So I'll I'll, I'll no. The you know what? It's I'll it's uh, it's profanity. explicit. You can fucking curse and uh, anything <laughs> okay. you want to do. So well, I'll go with whatever. I it, on my show, I just I go, with go with whatever the tone of the group is. So I, you know, you yeah. guys aren't big swearers, so I won't be there. No, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could go for it, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I have about I'm about four years. I'll be five years in October off the booze, and I mean I've had I've had some drinks uh, here and there. I'm not like I don't feel like I'm yeah. off the wagon or like that. But it's so much nicer not having it. I lost weight. I feel so much better. I mm. smoke way much way more weed now. You know. See that I I think now um, this right here is um, kratom. So I have switched over to using kratom, and then and then I've got a big old bottle of of kava. So I use those two substances to try to uh alter my mind because i'm not one of those people who doesn't want a mind altering kind of experience i actually want to be altered as often as possible because <laughs> i like the way my brain works but my issue with with pot and i think i've talked with chris about this before is i can't find the place where it feels good it's either like just below perception to where i'm like i think something's happening and the next thing i know i'm like oh everything feels like i'm like encased in sand and wax paper and i'm just like oh everyone knows i'm stoned right now <laughs> i mean two things number one where'd you find that stuff get some of that over <laughs> right uh, but yeah i mean i, I th that's kind of how i used to be too but then when i when i got with my now wife uh she was a she's a pie she doesn't really drink and so i think it's one of those things where i just you do it so much to the point where you can your sweet spot grows a little bit yeah, but I used to have yeah. the same issue where I would either just be like, I didn't feel it at all, or I'd be like, I can't leave the house. You yeah, know? yeah. 
So um, I, it, it seems like for me, it'll be every six months or so. I'm like, you know, I should try. I should give it another shot and see if I can. Maybe I'll like it this time. Uh, that's probably the problem is I don't give it a, a sustained chance. So I mean, you know, you could. I'm not able to joint take a hit and put it out. Yeah, yeah. That's the other or, thing. Or just I, try or try mushrooms. Well, so let's let's do talk about this a little bit and kind of see where things go. But I'd like I'd like your take on where different substances come into the creative process. I'm trying to think who it was. Somebody talked about writing sober and editing stoned. Maybe that's even Chris. I, I, I hear all these things and they're just in my brain swirling around. Do you feel like you're creative? We talked about that before. Altered. Okay. I thought so. Are you, are you creative yep. altered um, Kirk or do you feel like you do your best creative work sober and then, you know, substances <sighs> come in somewhere else? Yeah. I, I mean, I would say I, so my writing process is very fluid. I, I, I write as quickly as I can talk, essentially. And that's wow. usually because yeah. I've already spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in the days or, or whatever pre- period leading up to that to where by the time I'm writing, I already know what I'm going to say, you know. And so to that end, I, I certainly we use a lot of marijuana. Uh, we don't drink. Drinking, by the way, completely stifled my creativity. You wow. know, it, it, one could claim that because I was drinking because my creativity was stifled or you know, mm. it's a chicken or egg thing mm-hmm. to some degree, but, mm. but with, with pot, there's no question. I feel more creative, but I do tend to get the, I won't say covered in quicksand or wax paper feeling, yeah. but as pot, isn't the best motivator, you know I mean? I, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. go play Frisbee or something on it, but it's not necessarily like, I'm not going to be my most productive. So for me, I generally work sober. Um, of course I'm always smoking pot within a few hours. So I'm never completely sober to be honest, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, I tend to want to be productive. So when I'm sitting down to write, I have a goal. I'm usually writing an episode for my podcast to talk in the attic, like moments before I record it, just because yeah. of, I have other things going on. I can't commit as much time to it as I'd like. So because of that, I just have to be productive. I then take my podcast into audio editing and video editing and sometimes animation. Mm. And it's just, it's a lot of steps in there. And if I wasn't, you know, completely on top of my productivity game, like my executive function, then mm. it's not going to result as quickly as I need it to. So to that point, definitely use substances of all sorts to feel, to get ideas, to feel creative, to see the humor and things that might otherwise depress me. Uh, Honestly, I think that's what, I think that's what marijuana is probably best at is like, um, you can look at something and find humor in it, even if it's the most devastating, morbid thing ever, because you're kind of so removed from the concern and worry. And that's kind of what Mm -hmm. the the, uh, appeal is to me. Um, but definitely, relatively sober for on my scale yeah. relatively sober by the time i'm really working for sure yeah now i, I don't know uh, about either of you guys but have either of you guys ever used adderall at any level or any of the the um stimulants along that same line um because that's kind of like the antithesis of smoking pot it does something completely different um curious do you want to take this I, one Chris? Yeah, I was prescribed Ritalin when I was younger, and then I took Adderall when I was in college, like after I got out of the military. And um, I don't know, it for me, it just made it so like once I started thinking about something, I couldn't stop Obsessed. thinking about it until it was done. <laughs> but um, I know some people are like, yeah, man, can I get some of that so I can party? I'm like, party? Who would want to yeah. use this to party? I already like... Asked my doctor, he's like, all right, we're going to give you 35 milligrams. He's like, what's the lowest dose? He's like, uh, tens. I was like, can I just take tens? And the tens were like, huh? So, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It's good at getting stuff done, but I did, uh, I think a good chunk of you and I talked before that when I was writing switchers, 
I ended up cutting out like 80 pages and starting over at the middle. Yeah. And I think most of what I cut out, what I wrote on Ritalin or on oh. Adderall. Okay. And I was, that was about probably the time where I was like, I don't need this. And as a matter of fact, I think I don't like this. So yeah. it's a, it's a good workhorse drug, but it's mm-hmm. like creativity wise. No, you'll just be like, Oh, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. Yeah. So my experience <laughs> of it, this is somewhat new to me. I, um, I've had, I've had the opportunity to, to try it. Um, and my experience is if you use it pretty infrequently, it is kind of like the greatest feeling in the world, but it can't be like it immediately goes away. So if you use it two days in a row, day one, you think that you are the conqueror come to like reign over the universe and uh, restore yeah. order and creativity and everything. Well, like, but then really, I two, cleaned the house. I did the dishes. <laughs> I reorganized the garage and I wrote 12 pages. Like, yeah, exactly. Wow. And wow, I have one hand amazing. tied behind my back. <laughs> yeah. But if you do it, if you take it a couple of days in a row, you'll be driving down the road and you'll be like, the person in the car next to me talking about me, like it, it gets weird yeah. really fast. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. for for that, I like it in, in moderation. That That's kind of my experience with it as well. I mean, I, I tend to, my wife has a prescription for it. She need, she absolutely needs it or she can't function. Um, mm. And so I pretty much have unfettered access to it. At an earlier time in my life would have been a dangerous proposition. But yeah. at this point, I <laughs> yeah. usually have, uh, you know, a half of one sitting up here in my desk and I generally use it when I'm trying to get my other work done. I have my own sales firm. So like th- that's what I tend to use it on because like like mm-hmm. Chris, it tends to drain my it, it makes me hyper focused, mm-hmm. um, which I don't really have an issue with focus anyway. So like it, it makes me hyper focused. So if it's a really small box I'm trying to fit in like work, that's what I'll do. But if I'm trying to be creative, it just makes me. First off, it makes me snippy with people. I, I have mm. like a really short uh, patience with people when I'm on it. And yeah. it kind of it tends to give me a feeling like I have high blood pressure, probably because it raises your blood pressure. Because yeah. um, it's you in know, the amphetamine so like, class. Yeah. yeah, it is math, basically. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yes. uh, but I think for some people, it, do, it does wonders. But I do, and I'm not passing judgment, but I do question when these three and there are three year old kids on Adderall. Oh, yeah. And five year old kids on Adderall. And like, whatever the, if the doctors are saying that's fine i guess but any parent that thinks that's okay should like try it for themselves one time mm-hmm. and they're going to be flashed back into the 70s when they were doing cocaine or something because it's like that's what it's like you know yeah. so <laughs> yeah if, if it helps kids great you know but for i know of just from firsthand experience it can it does wonders for my wife so yeah. um yeah and i'm glad i'm I, i'm glad i have access to it but i rarely use it Dude, yeah. I love your house because I have ADD and your house is like an ADD person's paradise. Like there's a little <laughs> trampoline in the room. So if you're like feeling antsy, you can just stand there and jump on the trampoline. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm living with two highly ADD people, so we have to we have to accommodate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's hula hoops, trampolines. I love it. Pugs. Hula hoops. Yeah. Hula hoop. My wife's a hula hooper. That's kind of like okay. that's her hobby that she's getting into. Dude, she's good at it. And her brother... Uh, is also a talented dancer and uh, uh, like he can do the uh, bow staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Bow staff. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I heard bow staff and I was like, I don't even, we're getting into like lingo. I don't even understand, but bow staff. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so like, like Donatello. Um, Donatello. Exactly. Yeah. Donatello. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, mean, man. and so what? Th- th- that's kind of their flow state. So Jessica's feeling most artistic and flowy when she's hula hooping. Uh, Will, her brother who lives with us, is when he's doing you know some sort of flow art like staff, uh, either double staff or bow staffing. And mm-hmm. what's nice for me about that is I, I've been working on like music uh, on the fly impromptu music production. 
So when they're doing that, I'm, I'm not going to pick up one of those things. I'll break stuff in the attic and I don't really have any interest in doing it. So I just sit at my keyboard and make like live loops and, and beats and stuff and try to get their input and make it so that it's something they can dance to. So it's fun when all three of us get in that flow state together. Yeah. So you have Kirk, um, uh, it sounds like a lot of different art that you like to be involved in from creating music to doing a podcast, you write, um, do you feel like one has a priority? Do they feed off of each other? Uh, what's your relationship to the different kinds of arts? And I guess answer that first. I'll ask my next question if it still makes sense. Yeah, it's a tricky one to answer because uh, as a kid growing up, my first love was drawing. You know, I think that's a common one for a lot of kids because it's just accessible. Um, and then that kind of uh, turned into video as I had this big VHS video camera. Then we got a little mini DV video camera, which is a huge deal for me. And I spent summers orga- like writing scripts and organizing big productions with my friends. Always disappointed that people didn't take it as seriously as I did. You know, like kids, kids would show up and after I'd given them a script a month in advance, they wouldn't even have read it. And that would just throw me off the deep end of the deep end, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's the, you know, that's what you're dealing with when you're when your local acting pool is your friends. That's what you get. <laughs> um, but so so that's kind of what it what it was. But then I really got focused on athletics and sports. I was strong mm. in math and science. So I, I knew I wanted to go into engineering and uh, frankly, from the time. I, so the last really big creative project I had done before my podcast uh, was in 2005. I was a, a junior in college and I made a 60, 60 minute feature length movie that I showed in the, in a movie theater locally at, at midnight. We had one nice. showing, we sold it out. It was super fun. I mean, the quality of the production was whatever, but like people were there to support me and yeah. it just felt, it felt so magical. You know, it was just such an incredible thing. And literally that was the last even close to creative thing I had done until the podcast in 20, uh wow. 20. Okay. so you know in, in that time in between there that's when i was just focused on work i got married and divorced and then married and divorced i was drinking too much i was just unhappy and it wasn't until i met my now wife who i had already known in the past but like when we got together that she just made me really realize that it, life isn't it seems so cliche looking back at it now but i wasn't living life i was just getting through it i was making a bunch of money and spending mm-hmm. it and all mm-hmm. and i was just empty and I, I kind of forced a termination from my previous job because I just hated it there. And with that came a, a, lar- a severance, you know, and I can't talk about nice. the details of that, but it was enough severance sure. for me to like not have to fuck, not worry for a long time. And so <clears throat> that allowed me just to like work on the house. You know, we had just bought a new, an old house that was nearly 100 years old. So I worked on that. That to me is a very creative thing when you, you're looking Absolutely. at a, a, an issue and coming up with a unique design that's not not necessarily from YouTube, something that you come up with. So that mm-hmm. kind of really got me like feeling creative again. And then we finished the attic. I, I bought a drum set. I bought a, a keyboard. And frankly, what I found is that it's all interchangeable to me. It's, it's the, the days that I'm feeling at my, at my low points. I, I can, it's so clear to me. I don't even have to think about it anymore. I haven't done anything creative in a, in a, some period of time. Mm-hmm. And it does have an addictive quality to it to the point where now I need to be doing creative stuff all the time where I kind of space out. I don't really... I'm not really into the what I used to find kind of engaging, like the winning business for my sales firm. Yes, I need to do that to keep the lights on and keep the podcast going. But yeah. that used to really make my make my heart go. And now if I'm not sitting on my keyboard or writing or recording or even just sending funny text or whatever, then I'm not fulfilled. So to answer your mm. question in a, the most long-winded fashion of all time, <laughs> that's what uh, podcasts are for. <laughs> it, it's all very interchangeable for me. I think as long as I'm doing something, but that said, I love writing. Uh, I, 
I, I feel like I have a, a unique voice. I, like I write the way I talk, right? So I can, if I had like a dream job, it would probably be writing for Saturday Night Live or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I, and probably not SNL at this point in my life because I want something a little more narrative, a little bit longer form than that. Mm-hmm. But some level of comedy writing or like writing for John Oliver on Last Week Tonight or something, that would just be a dream of mine. And so yeah. I'm trying to kind of hone that skill through my podcast. And, and that's kind of what the podcast the framework for the podcast is just that if you're an adult, you're sitting, you're, you're doing stuff that uh, makes you kind of unhappy in a lot of cases, and you're not spending any time on doing things that made you happy when you were little. Have you even tried to do that? Have you picked up your cello that's sitting in your attic for, for 20 years? Pick it yeah. up and give it a shot, and it's going to have positive effects on, on you personally and most likely on other people too because people are inspired to see that. So the, the podcast framework is kind of just for me to put all my creative – ideas out there doesn't matter it doesn't have to follow a very specific uh, uh plot line or scheme or anything like that chris will tell you my my show last week was an animated short that i that i made about animal court it was like a bee suing a hornet with an owl for a judge right <laughs> and so that that has nothing to do with the previous one which was me talking about the impact of artificial intelligence on creativity and things like that so it, it's a loose framework which yeah. makes it hard to market you know, it's not as easy to market something that's so diverse, hmm, but yeah. um, the point of it is to let me work on my skills and, and get better at stuff. And maybe somewhere in there, I'll find my uh, that I have a more specific calling in mind. At this, this point, it's just scattershot. Like uh, a choose your own adventure book. I can there's so many different directions I can go right now and we'll have a wholly <laughs> different conversation depending on which one I decide to pursue. Uh, I was going to ask originally if you felt like pursuing all of the different creative avenues um diminished the other creative avenues but i don't want to ask you that question because what i already sensed from what you said is that for you you need them all and you don't necessarily have one that's sitting in the driver's seat that you're like if i die i want to i want to die uh being known as a a world-class novelist um, which i think is my own desire that's that's what i want my path to be but it sounds like you'd be really happy if you had a lot of different things um writing for for a tv show comedy writing would be really important to you but i sense from everything you said that if that was the only creative outlet you had it would become quickly not enough for you i i think that i hadn't ever really thought of it that way and i think you hit the nail on the head perfectly yeah so I do want to ask you then, um, as far as the the AI thing goes, I did an episode just recently where I actually had a conversation with ChatGPT and asked them how to market a book and become, uh, you know, or or more or less the idea was how do I make a connection with somebody in the industry that's really important? And ChatGPT does not want to tell you <laughs> any of the secrets that are out there. I was really angry, but I also yeah, found it kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, there, I don't think- there, there's some. There's some big agency out there who calls that like proprietary work product, and they're not going to put that in the database. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So with that in mind, though, have you used MidJourney? What are your thoughts on it? I haven't used MidJourney specifically. What is that one? I don't even know what that one is. Oh, my God. Okay, so you'll have to look this up afterwards. It is a really interesting rabbit hole to go down. Uh, You have to have Discord. And you find MidJourney on there and you can either interact on uh, one of the servers that already has invited it, or you can pay $8 a month to invite it to your own server. Um, and you can just create art based on word prompts. Um, and it's okay. absurd what it can do. It's <laughs> absurd. Dude, I've seen, I've, I've, I've seen some renderings from that. I didn't know that was the name of the, the app or whatever, but yeah, the, uh, 
I, yeah. Some of them are incredible, incredible. And I, I always question if it's really, I'll ask you directly since you've got real experience. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like they give kind of a fake prompt to what actually got them there. Like how many iterations of prompting did it take to get there? Is it really as intuitive as it seems? Um, yes and no. So I've, I've at this point um, watched, I don't know, 20, 30 hours of YouTube tutorials on how people do what they do to get a hang of it. Once you understand the basic language and framework, it kind of is. The trick th- with doing it is that you have to start learning what things it doesn't like to perform. So even though it doesn't necessarily like if you were to go on Canva right now, Canva has a version of, of AI um, that you can prompt it and its images are just really crappy. I, I appreciate their effort, but you could never use a, an AI generated image that Canva did because they're not good enough. And if you were to use a, a word like smoking a cigarette or something like that, it Canva will not allow you to even generate that image. Mid journeys issue is a bit different. Um, the characters in my novels uh, are, are all uh, extreme overuser addict type of people. So the the main woman smokes cigarettes in like every scene she's in. And so I wanted to generate some images of her smoking a cigarette and Midjourney will do it. But the problem is, is that somehow they designed it in such a way that it doesn't understand how to get the cigarette where it belongs. So it'll end up on like her cheek or her nose, <laughs> or it'll be backwards. Um, or if you want it to be in her hand, suddenly she's got nine fingers and you're like, what is going on here? No amount of, of working with it can have somebody reliably hold an object. So you just have to work within its kind of framework yeah. in order to get what you want out of it. But it, yeah, when you, when you're in its wheelhouse, it's, it's both sublime and surreal what it's able to do it makes you feel like a great artist and that's certainly not the case (laughs) no exactly i mean i think it's all interesting i I think there's there's certainly applications for it that are going to change Mm -hmm. lots of lots of jobs and i think writing was always one that kind of had protection for against against that because you know because it it really required that and i still to this day even though I've experimented with with chat GPT and things, and mm-hmm. I have gotten really impressive uh, writing materials out of them. Yes. I look music production is one that for years they've had computers that can make pr- pitch perfect audio, mm-hmm. make, uh, put put everything quantized exactly on a grid. And you hear that stuff and it sounds bad. You know, it, it's all perfect. It, it's all perfect, but there's no human element to it. Right. And yeah. so obviously over time, the AI models are going to have, mistakes and things like that written into it to make to give it more of an analog or or authentic human feel yeah but even still it's still i think it's going to be a situation where we're ultimately going to be uh there's going to be an uprising obviously but before that you know before the machines take over there'll there'll be (laughs) there'll be a time where the most effective use of it is going to be be used as a supplemental aspect and not as the standalone work you know and i think Mm -hmm. the people are people going to use it as standalone and probably make money from it yeah, maybe, but I'm not interested in trafficking in that. I I, I want mm-hmm. I I know there's not a computer model that has my voice, you know, or that that sees yeah. things in the exact the same way that I do. So what I really think it's going to create in the entertainment world is it's going to be a bunch of milk toast nonsense that you can that there's already thousands of carbon copies of out there as it is. And then there's going to be the people that really can can attack their own unique voice, what makes them special, and that's going to be how you're going to become known or whatever whatever the goal is that you're looking for so that's kind of how i see it all playing out until the inevitable uprising obviously yeah Hmm. yeah i think something's coming that that does resemble that but 
I, I also believe that there's somewhere in between where what you're saying is true as well, that I, I see it as being a collaborative opportunity. So for example, um, I do, I do more marketing than most authors I know. And a lot of the marketing that I used to do, I would have to spend a ton of time coming up with, uh, any kind of taglines, log lines, anything that I wanted to interface with the world. I had to think of myself. I can actually throw all of that at chat GPT now, and it does a better job than I do in a couple of seconds. Um, so I can generate 10 really great log lines and just be on my way. Um, yeah. And they perform better. I can, I'm, I'm actually testing them, spending money to test them and they perform better than the stuff I was coming up with. So I'm happy to kind of like say, I'm not going to have to pay somebody $5 from the Philippines to take over any work. I just have chat GPT do it. And I'm like nine people yeah. now. It's really cool. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great use of it too because that what you're talking about there is a very computer application. You're using it to market things online. So why not use uh, a piece of processing power that's already speaking that language and already can look up which which of those words are successful? How else would you ever get that without just doing hundreds and hundreds of different tests until until yeah. you find out which performs? Off offload that. By the way, I'm I'm guessing the fact that you said that you probably don't really enjoy the creativity of creating log lines. So I'll outsource that to the computer. That's fine. You yeah. can focus on your, on yours, the part yes. that you like to do. Yeah. yeah. And people can say that that's stealing jobs from people, but you know, I don't think most of us are in a position where we're like ready to put a whole social media task force uh, mm -hmm. to work yet. So, you know, until we get to that point, right. then, you know, this will help us. That's like the bridge for the, for the common man to, to getting maybe to that point where you don't need the, AI, you can hire an actual person to do it. I think that's a good point, Chris. And I also think that that it makes a lot of sense from the perspective of even if you do get to a point where you can hire somebody, that person is going to lean as heavily as they can into all of the, the different tools that they have to do the job uh, as best as they possibly can. Yeah. I mean, even doing SEO, I use tools that will tell me, um, mm. it'll give my headline a score and it'll be like, try using... Um, a more unique word and then you like tr do that and then it'll mm -hmm. tell you like better or worse but it doesn't actually you know fill things in for you i'm sure yeah. that's that's you know on the horizon if it's not already part of somebody's seo package but yeah uh so let's let's do something kind of unconventional but it's on my mind and both of you guys uh have a lot of these kind of things you know whether you're marketing or podcast people or your art in general um I'm, I'm, I was thinking about doing another Kickstarter. I failed my first Kickstarter miserably. I think Chris has some of the inside story about that, but I tried really hard and it was embarrassing and humiliating. I am going to be spending a minimum of $4,400 per audiobook for my series. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out ways that I can offset that cost before the bill comes due. Kickstarter can be great. I don't know how to do it. I'm curious what, what your guys' thoughts are on how to get in front of the right audience for your stuff. Kirk, I know you've built your podcast pretty big, so you've got some thoughts on that. Chris, you're great at SEO. What are the kinds of things that you would think of if you were trying to undertake a, a big task like that? Go for it, Chris. <clears throat> as far as offsetting costs ahead of time, I don't know. <laughs> People have given me a lot of really good ideas as far as like how to sell books. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, my book takes place in 1996 and then bounces back and forth. And someone's like, oh, man, you should just, uh, you know, find a bar to partner with and say, hey, we're going to do a karaoke night, but it's going to be only songs from 1996. And then tell people about your book and, you know, hopefully they'll drink and buy books. I love it. I was like, man, that is a good idea. I should have done that. Now, <laughs> time's a little late now, but um, yeah. 
I don't know. Unless you can network with somebody at some kind of networking event and be like, hey, you know, I plan to make this much money. If you can give me the money to start it, I'll give you a 15%, you know, kicker on top of that. Yeah. Pay you back. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I tried. I reached out to, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. I can see his face clear as day. Other people, the guy who has the other people podcasts, Brad Listy. Um, and I, I asked him, I said, would you be interested in, you know, taking like all of the profits above and beyond what I can make to run an ad on your podcast? I was like, your, your listeners are exactly who I want to be talking to, but he mm-hmm. wasn't interested in doing any kind of thing uh, where you didn't pay up front. And I, I'm not, I can't fault him for it. So, yeah. Yeah. I have no experience in Kickstarter. In fact, I often, uh, I mean, I've donated to a few of them, right? But I do have a Patreon and something that I think Chris and I talked about on one of his episodes once is that, you know, when you're starting a business, which is essentially what you're doing, you're looking for other people's yeah. money, you're looking for investment. Uh, you gotta, you, if you can't convince the people that know you really well, your family, mm-hmm. your friends, and maybe you're a loner and don't have that, whatever. But like, if, if you can't convince those people to do it, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to convince anyone else to do it. So I, I really pitch hard to my friends and I'm like unapologetically yeah. aggressive about it. If I'll, I'll text yeah. my friend and say, here's my episode. I don't care if you don't watch it, go on that thing and click on it and like it and make a comment, you know? Yeah. And th- for a while that worked, you know, you don't keep their attention forever, but right. I think getting a really small, aggressive core of people that are really believers in you is mm-hmm. always the first step before you can start even trying to get other people to, to get involved, you know, and not only that, yeah. but it'll help you prepare your, if it's face-to-face marketing, you get better as you, as you do it, you know? So uh, I'll give you an example. I, I sold cut co knives. I don't know if the, if the yeah, cult has made it, Absolutely. I don't know if the cult's made it to Omaha, but yeah. So I mean, it's, are those the ones know, that cut through shoes? Yeah. It's crazy. Dude, it's a pyramid scheme. They, they get you to go yes. when you're in college. It says like 25 bucks an hour, $600 your first week, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And you go and you buy it. Essentially, everyone sells a set of knives to their parents. And then mm-hmm. most of them don't ever sell any and again, you know. But I did yeah. that. I, I went to a bunch of my, my family and a bunch of them made pity purchases. One guy bought a garlic press, even though his worked better on it during the demo. You know, <laughs> but like, uh, that was my first uh, real entree into sales work. And... It's invaluable experience because, yes, you're going to get told no. It's devastating. You said you were humiliated by the Kickstarter. First off, you shouldn't be, you know, but I know the feeling. I I know the feeling every time I release anything, there's an absolute terror that I have in me that, man, this isn't good enough. People aren't going to like it. No one's going to watch it or listen to it. And I'm an imposter. I'm an imposter. You know, that's kind of just how it goes. That's a creative, uh, someone that's trying to be outwardly publicly creative. That's just the curse of it all. Um, Yeah. But if, if there's some way for you to just really foster a small, small group, and maybe that's by making your first Kickstarter really small, don't have a huge yeah. goal on it and right. focus on getting that, give, give them a hat or something. I, I do a lot of merch cause I like like fashion design kind of stuff. Nice. Um, you know, so like it's I have a really lot 70s of seventies vibe. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the, that's it. the goal. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think, uh, I have a, a legion of people out there wearing this stuff, you know, to the point where I'm mm. getting texts almost every day from people saying like, look what I saw out today. Nice. You know, just a random attack in the attic hat. So like getting stuff like that, making, making it more accessible for people that don't trust you or know you as innately well as some of your early got people, you know, make it yeah. so that they're a little more willing to come on board. That's, 
probably unhelpful uh, information. No, I don't think, think I don't think it's unhelpful at all. And uh, that, a couple of things. So Chris, I think, said one of the best things that was way too late for me um, after the fact was don't don't tell people that you're publishing a book ahead of time. Um, you put like all this pressure on yourself and then then people are like, oh, you know, where's that book? How's it doing? And you're like, fuck off. I'm working on it. You know, <laughs> it's like exactly. it's coming. Just yeah, it's it's chill. happening. Um, I have and a, they just uh, eventually stop asking. It gets awkward. Yeah, and that's even the worst part. When they stop asking, that's awful. Or when you text your mother uh, at, at like 10 o'clock at night after a really tough day and you're like, you know, I've been thinking about quitting lately. And instead of being like, don't quit. You're so close. She's like, well, just make sure you have a good plan. They're like, oh my God, even my mom doesn't believe in me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, I, I came from the world of real estate investing. And so when I was doing real estate, uh, I would, I, I was exactly like you were talking, man. I would, I would ask everybody I knew if they wanted to give me money. And I was like, here's the deal. I guarantee that I will repay you plus 14% simple interest for the time that I have the money. And I had a few people agree, but I, I lost friendships over it too. So I, I made some really close friendships and I lost some friendships where people were like, if he's calling, he's asking for money. And in my mind, I, I always just thought, I'm giving you so much money back. I've already guaranteed it. Even if I lose, I'm going to make you whole. And you know, I've got the bank for it. It's okay. But there, there are some people who do not want to be asked for money. And it's an interesting, it says something interesting. I think about me, maybe I'm, I'm considered or, or looked at as more of a loose cannon than I realized. So let me ask you, do you feel Kirk, like people know you well and trust your brand? And what did you do to create that sense of, of, um, firm foundation that people are like, yeah, I want to get behind his business. Yeah. I mean, I think first off, I think I have the same kind of issue going on where I think people probably do see me as a more of a loose cannon than I'd like to think that they do. Um, especially having gone through a couple divorces, you know, I think that really did a, a number on my reputation, oh, yeah. um, which for, for some key people in my life that definitely like made long lasting permanent effects. But at the same time, people know, it's hard for me to, to really give this as like kind of a marketing tip answer because it's really just how I live my life. Yeah. People know that I, when I go into something, when I say I'm going to do it, they know that I'm going to like really put some effort. It's like serious, obsessive effort into it. And yeah. that I probably won't quit until uh, something either catastrophic happens or that I make <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. And, and so like, because of that, everything I've ever done has been balls to the wall. And so people know, wow, he's behind it. Uh, this I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. But at the same time, I haven't really been asking people for money either. You know, I'm asking yeah. for engagement and I'm asking for, I have a, like eight or nine Patreon people who pay me 20 bucks a month or something like that on, mm -hmm. on Patreon. And yeah. that's really just mainly really close friends and family who aren't expecting anything back in it. they're just saying like they're, they're supporting the dream, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you, you just, this is why all of our decisions throughout our whole life become important when we're trying to do our, when we're trying to become the people we want to become is yeah. because you can't hide from your past. And if you can't blow opportunities with people, I've never been a dishonest person when it came to money. I've always been generous with people. I'm always very supportive of my friends who are trying to do something. Right. And so yeah. when, when you're supportive of your friends that are trying to do something, it creates an authentic community of people that are going to be more willing to scratch your back when it's time to. Mm. And I think the podcasting community is, is such a great way to do that just because I've interviewed upwards of a hundred people on the show and yeah. you know, I haven't formed necessarily like the kind of bond that Chris and I have formed, which started as a podcast interview, but oh, I did. yeah, 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 yeah. And so, okay. so to some degree, to some degree, uh, most, I think almost every one of those people, if I really had 
uh, uh, targeted, smart thing that I needed support on, I think they would be there to, to help me out in some fashion. Maybe not mm-hmm. give me money because a lot of these people are trying to do the same thing I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that they won't. You know, I, I have I just had an Uber driver last week who's a country music artist, and mm-hmm. we got to talking. He's coming. He came up here a month in advance of his show just to Uber drive just to, just to put the sh- the word out there about the show. And so yeah. he signed in Nashville. And by the end of the conversation, I gave him a, a, a talk in the attic hat. I invited him on the podcast. He's coming here Monday. And nice. w- without me even asking, he said, oh, I'm going to wear your talk in the attic hat to my show in Grand Rapids at Intersection. That's so awesome. or at, at Pyramid Scheme, you know, so that's an example <laughs> of I put him on my show. Hopefully he can sell a little a few, a few extra tickets. And in return, a bunch of people are going to see my, my hat. And at least five of them, those people might type it in their phone and look it up what it is. You know, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's sounds like such small beans but that's what we have to do unless you have the power of uh you know the big money behind you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. oh hey real quick honey can i tell them the story of how we met yeah yeah <laughs> okay i only tell this because i think it's hilarious so i had had a couple of people on my podcast and then um one guy that i w- was going to talk to it was vince from Irie kitchen I was like, hey, man, you want to be on my podcast? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I looked down and Kirk's got like a stack of business cards for his podcast because Vince had been on his podcast. And then I looked at his podcast and I was like, wow, he's got like two or three people that have already been on mine and have been on his. And then I was like, well, I got the <laughs> I got the poet laureate of our city coming on next week. So take that, Kirk. And then like <laughs> two days before my episode with her dropped he dropped one with her. And I was like, hey, man, what the hell are you trying to do to me over here? He's like, sorry. I was like. No, it's cool. Let's talk on a podcast. He's like, okay. Yeah. The, the rest is history, as I say. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly fantastic. he was clearly, clearly there was some hardcore imitation happening there, but you know, that's what happens. That's what happens yeah. to local celebrity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Episodes 30 to 42 of my podcast are basically an imitation of a talk in the attic. Chris, yeah. did, was our, was our first encounter Twitter? Um, I remember how the hell I found you actually. I know I approached you. I do know that much. It probably was Twitter because you're the Twitter but king. I am the of, I, this, of this group. I am the Twitter king of this group. Although I am slowly but surely moving away from it. Um, it was kind of hard. I was talking about sunk cost earlier today with a friend of mine um, hmm. because I spent the better part of a year. Really, I, I, I got on March of 22. Um, and by March of 23, I had 22,100 followers. I thought that was a pretty awesome accomplishment. I felt really good about that. I spent a shit ton of hours making it happen. And it was the reason that my podcast grew to the size that my podcast is. Um, I met people like Chris. I do think I met you on Twitter, though. I just can't remember exactly how or why. I know it was absolutely 100% me just trying to reach up and meet somebody who was doing something at a a higher level than I felt like I was at that point. Um, I love the sound of your podcast. So I know that's why I reached out. I just don't remember what. Um, But all of that to, to say, Twitter, unfortunately, really sucks at reaching into people's wallets and I wish that you could say that and not sound like you're money grabbing, but part of the relationship you're trying to build with people is, hey, I have a product that I know you're going to love. 
how do I turn you into a customer because you're going to be happy and I can keep doing this. There should be no reason anybody should ever feel guilty about having that as an aim. But Twitter, it just never turns. Well, not never. I mean, I met Heather O'Brien on on Twitter and she's bought all of my books. Uh, Rich Hosek is a co-host here. He's bought all my books like nine times. Um, so there are some people on Twitter that have, but I would say by and large, you're not selling books to just random people. Um, right. Whereas with Substack, I've been spending, I don't know. I mean, my podcast is there. So I, I post twice a week on Substack and now the notes feature, but you just, you build your email list, you sell things. It's a much better avenue for doing it. So I do, I do look at Twitter at this point as maybe a, a sunk cost. It's time to just not completely walk away from, but more or less. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't, I've never been able to crack the algorithm with with Twitter. I haven't put much time into it. I have very yeah. little following. I don't get any engagement when I do post. Yeah. But what, oh. but I also Jody never can go give you a, like a five step <laughs> yes. thing of how to do it. I can. And I did it for yeah. like a week and a half, and I got like two hundred and fifty followers. Yeah. yeah, but that's the thing. I don't know if it's going to be do. I don't know if it's gonna, if I want to do that because I'm exactly. never in the. App, I'm never yeah. really in the app myself. I never even think to go to it for anything other than to go promote my thing, and mm-hmm. it hasn't done that. And Yep. Yes, I saw that you have a very active. I can tell you, like you, you hit a certain number of tweets a day for you know, which yep. I think it ha- is what you have to do. Yep. And, and given my limited resources and the fact that I'm doing such a large production video podcast on top of living my regular life, it's like hmm. I, I just don't have the time for that. And I'm glad to hear you say <laughs> right. that because now I. I don't think I am going to put any time into it, frankly. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the best <laughs> idea. I, I think that both Instagram um, and Facebook can be fairly effective. My experience has been kind of pretty much miss on TikTok. I hear that TikTok's all the rage. LinkedIn is supposed to be fairly good um, in terms of actually creating like customer following. Um, but every time I get on LinkedIn, I feel like I accidentally put on a tie. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so yeah. I, I'm usually yeah. I just posted a cartoon about a bee on LinkedIn. I didn't get any engagement, but I mean, it's it is yeah. a place that people are trying to find jobs. So yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm following the the speech of the day, which is that LinkedIn's a hot spot for that. But I mm-hmm. haven't seen it yet. But part of me doesn't yeah. use LinkedIn still because I can show all my old Square friends that I used to work with in an office. I could show them that I'm doing something different now, and then they can be like kind of uh, envious. Jealous. That's why. That's the main yeah. reason why I do it. Yeah. 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 How do you feel about uh, creating jealousy in people when when they say like, "Oh, look at you now"? I mean, do you do you enjoy that feeling? Do you think it's healthy to enjoy that feeling? I don't enjoy that feeling, but it hasn't happened okay. to me yet either because I'm really just, <laughs> really just, uh, I'm spending money to be creative right now. I'm not making yeah, any too. money on this, you know. So like. Uh, nobody has had the opportunity to say like, wow, look at you now kind of thing. But I do see it in their eyes when they see the beard and the long hair. I used to have like a, <laughs> I used to have like a side part, you know, comb over looking Republican looking thing. Um, and, and I don't now. So I see the judgment in their eyes. And if anything, I enjoy that feeling. You know, I, I enjoy the feeling of, of people feeling like they're above me now just because I'm not playing the rat race anymore. Yeah. You know, and I, and, and I don't even, put energy into convincing them otherwise because I just know I'm way happier now and I think they probably would be too but that's for them to figure out well it yeah. is pretty cool though when I told you the one time I went to a dispensary with uh, with our uh, mutual friend Mike and uh, the person at the dispensary is like alright that'll be 50 hey were you on a talk in the attic <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's a cool feeling that, that is a cool feeling I, two, one of my friends from Bay City uh, is, is dating a, guy, a person from Grand Rapids now, and it was kind of like worlds colliding. And on their first date, they he was dropping her off, and she asked uh, Chase, Chase, what are you doing tonight? He said, oh, my friend just released his 200th episode of his podcast. I think I'm going to watch that. And she goes, I was going to watch my friend's 200th episode. Who's your friend? 
and it turns out that they, they without realizing it both knew me so that, that's probably the coolest i've ever felt hearing something you know i mean <laughs> if, if they get married it'd be a great uh, origin story if it ends up in a you know homicide or something then i, I guess i'm to blame but yeah I, I'll, I, it's worth the risk for me i guess yeah so i like to uh, I'm, I'm i'm the kind of person who does a lot of daydreaming um and like imagining what it'll be like when uh and and so just recently um we were on our walk. I, I referenced the walk with my wife because it's one of the few times in the day where I stop doing what I'm doing here and actually process with a human being in just a, a friendship kind of way. And I can sort of take off any kind of facade or veneer or anything like that. But I, I was saying like right now, the most captivating thing I can think of is if I can get my novels to sell at such a level that I can pay the bills. I don't have to be flush. I don't have to be buying really nice cars. I could still, I mean, literally I could make $30,000 a year and figure out how to survive with my family. Cause that's the kind of like financial thing that, that we have where we don't buy a lot of stuff. But I, I was like, if I could just get to mm-hmm. that point, then you can pick up and travel anywhere you want because you don't have to be anywhere to sell a book. You can sell a book anywhere you want. That could pop up to Grand Rapids and be like, hey, I want to see what this whole thing's going on up there and not yeah. worry that I'm jacking around. And that for me, that that daydream, that ideal is the epitome of a good life. I don't need a, a ton of money. I just need the ability to go where I want when I want and not feel like a, a loser. <laughs> I'm yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. I, that's just, I just told my my friend who's an attorney this week that I I would trade, I would trade all, all opportunity at wealth right now if I could be a full time creative in, in yep. whatever capacity I want, which is I know is an unrealistic concept. With that attitude, for forty grand a year, <laughs> yeah, for forty for forty grand a year uh, in yeah. perpetuity, if I could make if I could make that, I don't I I would be totally happy because I've been on the other side of it where I was making a bunch of money. And I put yeah. a bunch of it up my nose and I drank a bunch of it and I didn't do anything mm. with it, you know? And it's like, it, it's not, that's not the answer. Obviously you need mm-hmm. some baseline of it. And my wife's an yeah. attorney. So that provides me with the ability to, to feel a little bit less heat about that. But mm-hmm. man, that would just be a dream. I, I agree. Yeah. A nice middle. I mean, Bob Marley had no money, you yeah. know, Bob, Bob Marley gave most of his money away and uh, he lived pretty destitute even when he was super famous. And Hey, I would, I would love to be, uh, I mean, I've been called the white Bob Marley actually. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's, that's, I was going to say it's a long, it's a long story. I'm sure. <laughs> he tries to pass himself off as the reincarnation of Bob Marley, and he just doesn't listen when you're like, "You guys were alive at the same time." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does make it difficult to oh, be reincarnated. Chris Mon. <laughs> so Prince uh, wrote uh, part of a memoir and then died before it was finished, and. Hmm. Uh, Publishers being money grubber, money grubbing bastards that they are, they still got somebody to to write a foreword to the book and, and publish it. The foreword is 200 pages and Prince's memoir is 50. So that's a little <laughs> different. <laughs> but I mean, I felt I felt badly for Prince because like you, you are a truly great musician. Um, but they spend 200 pages in the forward talking about how amazing he was as a writer and what a great life he was going to have as a writer. He was going to switch over, not do music anymore and just be uh, a great writer. And those 50 pages disappointed so bad. I don't know if it's because they had spent 200 pages hyping it up or what was going on, but you were like, Oh, you were a musical genius. Literally. I'm going nowhere with that comment. Stick that to- just <laughs> I was thinking about Bob Marley and it stick, stick to that. <laughs> Yeah, stick to music, Prince. Jeez, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. but imagine if you passed away halfway through your manuscript, you would be devastated to know that it got released. 
I think so. I think so. Are you, are you familiar with David Foster Wallace? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So a pale King is, I mean, that's a really damn good book. And I, I don't know what it would have been if he would have finished it. So uh, there probably are cases where the, the genius is just there enough. Yeah. I mean, he probably would have added a lot more footnotes and things to pale. King. <laughs> I, I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't know if that one has footnotes like in, it does. just does, but yeah. 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 I mean, th- that might be an example where editing I'm not talking shit about David Foster Wallace, but you know, <laughs> Infinite Jest is a it's a big, heavy task, it really and it is. probably could have been as effective with a few hundred less pages and a few thousand less footnotes. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> I think I think that you're probably right. He really connected with me. So when I was an undergrad, uh, I did not know originally that you could get a degree in creative writing. I didn't know that was a thing. And so I was late to the whole college game in the first place. And then I thought, I'm going to go get a degree in nursing um, because then I can work three days a week, make a great living, travel wherever I want. It's always been kind of central to my thought process. Um, And I took a creative writing class and they assigned us the essay Tickets to the Fair by David Foster Wallace. And he has this like almost one page long list of the different foods that are the Iowa State Fair. And I was enraptured by a list of foods, just different foods separated by commas. It was the way that he put it together. I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I think that moment, I I attribute to him my my real desire to be a writer to a list of foods that he wrote. And so I've always probably been even more forgiving of him as a human being, as well as a writer. So I love his indulgence. Um, And I bet you, if Chris wasn't on this podcast right now, and you just asked him separately, he might say that the Nine Lives of Marbid Alonghi has a little bit of indulgence in it that I could have probably cut uh, a good 20 pages at least it's a short novel in the first place um and, and so. got to the point a little quicker but uh <laughs> you know i mean i struggle with the with the feeling that i'm being self-indulgent on my show all the yeah. time you know yeah. but at the same time it it is absolutely self-indulgent i'm taking nobody is asking me to do this nobody asked right. you to write a book nobody asked me to do this and i'm voluntarily spending all my time and, and, and energy on it and putting out it's absolutely self-indulgent yeah Everything yeah, that's about what it is self-indulgent because you do it because you like it. And then it's even a little yeah. bit more self-indulgent when you're like, hey, will you look at this and tell me if you like it? But I mean, <laughs> it all starts with you being like, I'm only doing this because for me, like nobody else is enjoying me cranking out that first draft. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. And so the quicker we can come to peace with that, it lets it releases a little burden off you. I think. Yeah, it's OK to be yeah. self-indulgent. The people that aren't self-indulgent <laughs> are just sitting around planning their next self-indulgent trip. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're spending their time. They're spending ta- their time complying with the indulgences of of their companies or whatever, just so they can go on their yeah. trip to Cabo every every spring or whatever. Yeah, yeah and then like- and then have have breakfast margaritas and <laughs> that does actually sound really good. Yeah, let's just do it. Let's just all go off the rails for a week. We'll just and then we'll get back together <laughs> yeah. and see. How- yeah, I'll, I'll check yeah. back in and tell you if it was great or not. Exactly. Oh just tequila God. and blow all day for a long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's what that you, that was my 2017 <laughs> i bet you have stories yeah, I, I think I, it, I i probably do i can't really remember though we could all make some new <laughs> stories come on let's do this hands in <laughs> yeah <laughs> and everybody's but honestly just it's, right it's, it, for for people listening i'm though, not an advocate you know, of blow you, by any means <laughs> no. Actually, let me just say that right now. Don't do it. I know people that 
that have done it uh, and that do do it. And it's it's just it's not the it's not the coolest jam out there. Mm. Well, you know what Robin Williams called it? He called it God's way of saying you have too much money. You know, and yes, I can, I I can attest that, yeah. to that. You can, you, you can, you can blow through a lot of cash really quick, and it just it empties your soul. And I would, if someone told me I could never touch another drug, pot, anything, anything on the spectrum ever again, and but it guarantee that I'm always going to be able to have a creative mind and and have the mm. wherewithal to put it down and produce something with it, regardless of how many people see it. I would make that trade every day, just because that's 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 really the best. Uh, yeah. What's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? When you're high or inebriated, uh, intoxication, I don't know. That's the be- that's the most intoxicating thing you can do. You know, yeah. it's like taking an idea that, that nobody asked for and that nobody really cares if you make or not and making it happen and being proud of mm-hmm. it. That's a really special feeling. Yeah. And, yeah. and when I would be way more Especially special, if I could somehow get the swamps of people that are like, yeah, I'm sure you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you actually, <laughs> and they look at it and like, Oh, well, this is actually, this actually looks kind of good. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing people should take away from from at least my input to this podcast, it, and it may be off message with with what you're doing, Jody, but it's like fi- find a way to sow your creative oats to some degree. You're going to be happier mm-hmm. for it. You're going to have better mm-hmm. relationships. Uh, the reason you don't feel like a kid anymore is because you're not doing any of the things that you did as a kid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's except, interesting. I, I wanna, except I mean, scratching your button and smelling it. Don't do that. Don't, I do that too. Yeah. Sometimes you got you, you can't just you can't you can't pick and choose. You That's just got to be a full on kid to, sometimes to, to take a shower. I just I just uh, dip yeah. a finger into the crotch pit and have a, a quick sniff and you know I'm like whoa okay oh, I can go another good. day. Yeah. If, if you yeah if you can <laughs> get if you can get a if you can get some sort of uh, olfactory <laughs> sensation from outside the pants then you definitely know you got to shower. But if you if you're not yeah. if you're safe on the outside, ride it out. You don't need to. Sh- did you shower when you were a kid or did you draw? You know, let's all church. let's all be honest right now. How many of us here in the last week have picked up a pair of jeans, held them up, and then smelled the inside of them to see if they were wearable? If they were good. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I did it I once, and that's my only one, pair of jeans. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I have one <laughs> pair of jeans, so I have to save them for special occasions. <laughs> oh man, yep. I do want to talk a little bit more because I think there's something fascinating that people listening want to hear you talk about more to hear us converse about is the idea of self-indulgence because you hit on it. And I don't think that we went as deep into it as I want to of, I think, I think that self-indulgence actually is the way that you get to nourish other people. As weird as that sounds, it's when you pursue this thing that you're just you know you're meant to do if you can get through the shitty feelings when your mom tells you just make sure you have another plan to the point where people are are voluntarily wearing your hat on stage while they're playing a concert um something inside of that transition um people are nourished when they when they listen to a talk in the attic when they listen to creative ops um and read your books watch your videos all those things so What's another spin on that? I guess what's a spin if you don't want to call it self-indulgence because you know what you're doing is authentic, I guess. What what's the other side of that argument? I I uh, Chris, is it okay if I go? I feel like I'm it, Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you want or unless you're ready, but I I have an idea. No, no, so I, I I wrote something back I, when I said I hadn't done anything creative in there. Once in a while I would get an itch when I was in my working career life to to sit down and just write something. And again, it would usually be something that I had been thinking about on travel. And one of the things I ultimately came up with is that the essential, the essential gist of it was like a case for being selfish. 
Okay. And honestly, at the time yeah. I was probably using it to justify some of my own shitty behaviors too, if I'm being fully honest here, yeah. but, but the, the genesis of it and the real, uh, foundation of it is that how are you as a, as a isolated ball of energy that we are, you know, we have this little sphere of influence, literally that of, of people within us can feel us. And then when they're not, they can feel us. It's like, how are you ever going to put out the frequency or the vibe or whatever you want to call it? If you're not happy. Right. It's just it's not it's it's impossible. So the, the only way for you to make positive impact on those around you is to get yourself right in a way that you're happy. Now, hmm. for some people, that isn't being indulgently creative or what have you, if we want to call it that. But some people mm -hmm. might be putting their head down and really working hard on their career and getting successful in that way and doing that. And that's a great thing for them, too. But yeah. they're happy about it. My brother is like that. He doesn't have an interest in creative stuff, really. Uh, he loves what he's doing. He loves the impact he has on people through it. And that's making him happy. And guess what? People that work for him love the guy. And we've all worked for managers who are, who are negative Nancys in their real life. And they're bad people to work for, even yeah. if they're the smartest folks in the room. You know, So it's like... The, the case for being selfish, the case for self-indulgence is that it's going to make you whole. It's going to make your spiritual side more fulfilled. And when mm -hmm. your spiritual side is more fulfilled, you're going to be more forgiving to those around you. You're going to give them more benefit of the doubt. You're going to be a more positive and inspiring person to be around. Yeah. I think more or less the same thing you're saying, just maybe a different way of saying it too, is um, it's your mental health too. Like you said, if you don't do creative stuff, you space out and you have a hard time listening to people. Uh, Jody, I don't know if you do the same thing. If you haven't written in a few days, like your wife's talking and you're like, hmm, because you're thinking about like what you're going to write the next time you do write. Yeah. And so maybe not mental health, like to pull you out of depression, but maybe for some people it actually does that too. But uh, just, you know, you, you can't be present while you have all these thoughts and things in you that are trying to get out. So letting them out actually helps you be more present. And, you know, I'm sure that helps your mental health and helps you enjoy the people around you and vice versa. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to have to leave you guys because I got some no, people good. up here that uh, want me to come up and eat dinner. So let's wrap. Let's wrap it up. Um, we'll talk to you soon, Chris. Kirk, tell everybody who's listening uh, about your podcast. Um, give give us that that beautiful log line that you enjoy writing uh, and then how they can connect with you. I don't have one of those. See you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> but OK, so my, my podcast is called The Talk in the Attic. I just released my 225th episode of it. it, it wow. I started this project in february of 2020 uh, after months of planning and getting ready uh, unfortunately for a lot of reasons uh, that ended up syncing up with covid and mm. that was when po podcasting exploded especially amongst yeah. celebrities who already had a huge following so it was like the yeah. most competitive time to do it and it also led to a lot of people just saying like oh yeah who doesn't have a podcast you right. know yeah. so a little a little bit of unfortunate timing but i, I spend a lot of time on it i i built i built up this attic uh, space to be completely uh, sound, you know, like sound treated. Mm -hmm. And I've, I picked up some musical instruments along the way. I try to produce all the, my own music for the show for the most part. Mm. Um, I write every show for the most part in advance, unless it's an interview and that's just more of an organic conversation. Um, but it's, it's a variety show. So it's kind of whatever is moving me at the time. And sometimes I'm uh, more silly than your average 38 year old man. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, and, and sometimes I can be more uh, introspective as well. So if, if I happen mm -hmm. to be introspective the day that my show's coming out, I, I get to get up that morning and I write how I'm feeling and mm -hmm. I share it and I, I produce audio into it and I produce uh, video elements into it. All this is available on YouTube as well. Um, and it's a it's a fun escape. You know, it, it's an escape for you, but there should be some learning lessons, even in my absurd uh, animated episodes that are 
I, on the surface, completely absurd premises. I always try to make sure I work some humanity into it. And I always put a little self-deprecation in there. So people understand that we're all, it's a, we could, if you look at yourself with the right lens, we're all to blame for what's, <laughs> for what's going on to some degree. Yeah. And none of us are, are clean in it. And if you're willing to kind of, uh, you know, go down the path with me, you're going to enjoy it. If nothing else, you'll be inspired by the fact that uh, someone's out there doing it, you know, their own way. That mm-hmm. it's absolutely not something not like any other podcast out there. I can guarantee you that, and that's a unique thing in such a crowded market. So, did you did you find uh, that you I, had I um, a, a difficult time figuring out what your show was about, or did it just did you just really feel you had a good grip of what you wanted to do from episode one? I, I definitely laid the front the foundation in episode one and two. Uh, that it's going to be a variety show and that yeah. I, I, so I didn't really box myself in from the jump, but I never once thought that I would go, that I was going to ultimately want to be really interested in making an animated cartoon. That's really something that I'm really hot on right now. Yeah. I never necessarily said or thought that I would be making my own music because I thought these were, you know, I was just starting my podcast. I was just re- remembering how creative I can be. And so I, we put these limits. We have these, in, these intuitive fences that we, we think in our head. I could never learn how to play the piano. I'm too old. Not true. You can learn yeah. how to play the piano. It's a harder than it would have been if I was six. Absolutely. But the, the reason it's harder is because you suck at stuff when you start it for a while. And when yes. you're a little kid and you suck at stuff, you just keep going until you're not bad at it anymore. When mm. you're an adult and you're bad at something, you tend to just shut it down and say, ah, that's not for me. Right. Yeah. And so now that I've got the time and the, in the space and the mindset that I've got, it's allowing me to. To, to be willing to tr- pick up a, a new instrument like the drums I'm working on now, it's like it's a loud, noisy instrument, especially when you're bad at it. So it's a really good way <laughs> to broadcast to people that you're yeah. just learning, you know. But uh, but at the same time, like I'm getting better and it's fun. Man, there's yeah. no better feeling than than making a, an improvement. And so the show really focuses on that in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, and even when I'm interviewing folks, I always try to get into with them, like what what are some creative things that maybe you have that you've put away that maybe you're missing in your life. And so th- that's really the, the the framework for it. And I allowed myself a lot of room in there. Now, at the same time, we, we, you, you spend a lot of your time marketing your book that has a very yeah. uh, specific ROI. You, you're trying to sell your book. That's that's yeah. like an obvious, clean metric that you can that you can achieve. Yep. Um, and so if that were the case for my podcast, I would be much better off specializing in one narrow niche mm-hmm. out there and just yeah. learning everything I can about it and driving that home. But do we need another true crime podcast? You know, do we right. need another? Right. It's like it, we don't, you know, there's not a lot of creativity happening out there in that space. And yeah. I want it to be something that you don't know what you're going to get, but you do know mm-hmm. it's going to come from the heart. You do know it's going to be authentic. And to some degree, I'm banking on the fact that people will like me. <laughs> because yeah. that's the only common that's the only right. common thread along amongst it and yeah. that's another reason why it's so terrifying to put this stuff out because you know we all have that inside voice that wants people to like us you know i'm better yeah. about not caring about that now but it's still part of the the deal if i want people to watch a show they got to like me so yes. it's yeah yeah I, I don't know if i that there was no law no you, you you did yeah no there wasn't and i mean i i, I like that because it's similar to that so that's how chris and i first met is he was he was more coming from where you were that creative ops was just going to be conversations with creatives about creative things and there was no specific uh like log line exactly there, there, there was no this is exactly what it's going to be and right. i had started my podcast out um really not you know, I had this idea of what I wanted to do. It ended up being more difficult than I thought it was going to be. So then I switched and I was floundering and I ran into this guy who has this, this, uh, program called grow the show. Um, and 
it was not all that it was advertised to be, but I decided if I was serious about my business, I was going to invest in myself. So I paid to learn how to do podcasting like he taught me to do. Um, and in some respect, I did grow my podcast, but it became about something that I was less interested in. And I spent a year kind of like talking about marketing, which I love marketing, but I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I felt (laughs) like an imposter every day because I was an imposter. So I've completely come back around to more of your style where it's like, yes, I'm going to talk about marketing because I like it, but I'm not going to tell you I know how to do it. I'm going to tell you what I'm up to, how it's working. um, And I'm going to talk about my book. And then sometimes we're going to have people on and tell stories. Chris might have even told you that we were going to tell a story today, which um, I ended up not doing. But I mean, that's another part of the podcast. And I love having all kinds of different things that that I'm doing. So I'm envious that it sounds like for you, it kind of came a little bit more naturally. You You didn't second guess yourself too much. Well, it's interesting because I, I'm for my one of my major clients through my sales firm is a, a company that specializes in tr- washing big rigs, like cleaning uh, yeah. soap, like chemi- chemicals and, and equipment for big rigs. So I actually have a, a secondary podcast that I host called Keep On oh. Trucking. And that's yeah. completely hyper focused on trucking, the trucking industry, which that's I've hilarious. never been a part of. Yeah. I've never been a part of, but that those numbers are already looking really positive. I've had wow. three episodes and we're already over a thousand downloads and uh, oh, uh, almost a thousand uh, YouTube downloads. And it's wow. like, it, it's, I just know it. Just my luck. Not that I feel like I have bad luck. That's a bad way to put it. But like, yeah. it, it would it would happen just from an ironic perspective that the podcast that I blow up on is a trucking podcast and not the one that <laughs> that I want you, to just be. But you love the matters <laughs> that I really love. But you know, it's you can't beat when when some other people, your friends or even strangers, you know, find some value in it. And I've I've mm-hmm. formed so many relationships and gotten so much positive feedback that the money is absolutely secondary to me. You know, yeah. I mean, it would, it sure it would be nice uh, to yeah. make a living doing this, but if it doesn't happen, who cares? I mean, yeah. it's like, it's a, it, there's a lot of, we can't all be entertainers, paid entertainers, you know, and there's a mm-hmm. big marketing machine and a bunch of computer programs designed to take the people that are, have already been identified as future stars. That's mm-hmm. already happening, you know? So yeah. um, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to have access to the people that the smartless, I don't know if you ever listened to the smartless podcast, but it's sure. a really good podcast. Yeah. But you know, the, Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and uh, Sean, uh, I can't think of his name, Sean, Hay- Sean Hayes. Those yeah. guys have millions of people that immediately recognize them. They're going to listen to it. Even if it's not a great episode, it's going to be good because yeah. people know them, you know? And so yeah. the, the question for me now is I know my product is good. I would put my product up against anyone's out there in terms of creativity and audio quality and all of that. But how do I access those people? And that's kind of what uh-huh. I'm entering now. And I think being was, on this, this podcast is part yeah. of it. You know, That was exactly the, the conversation I had with ChatGPT was how do I get access to those people? Because I know it exists. And I know uh, that if you have the right pitch, you actually can get in front of that person and that person will, will listen to you. And so um, I, yeah. I would love still to understand how, how to do it. Um, I'll tell you if you tell me. I'll tell you if I find out first, and as long right. as you do the same. Yeah, guaranteed, yeah. guaranteed. As soon as I know it, I'm passing it around to all my friends. Well, um, I have a couple. I have a couple strategies that are in the works that are kind of long plays, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want this to sound as transactional as I'm presenting it. But I have uh, a band that I that we really like called Rainbow Kitten Surprise that mm-hmm. we're huge fans of, and you know I'm very active on their web on their fan group, uh, yeah. uh, on on Facebook. I I create a lot of stuff for it graphics and take videos and things like that and it's all just you know on the just because it's sharing with the community mm-hmm. but we, we recently went to zurich switzerland and we saw them there and i gave them all 
uh, talking the Etikats, and the bassist wore it around before the show for a while, like around the venue. Right, nice. So, you know, so like if I can get if I can get them or even one member of them on the show, that's going to just inc- immediately increase yes. my my access. You know, right. uh, Mark Mark Rebier, I don't know if you know Mark Rebier, the Loop <laughs> Daddy. He, he's this comedian looper that that creates beats on the fly and makes up lyrics on the fly based on what people tell him i know he, for uh, sure i know the name but yeah 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 so i was a moderator for his for his fan group during the time that he was blowing up and i've oh, done nice. a lot of work for them for free and eventually a, a, a fan of, of the show that lives in belgium i had bought a hat and he went to a show in belgium and got backstage and he sent me a picture later on with mark rebier wearing my talk in the attic hat you know awesome. and so He's a guy that I'm really I've worked hard for a while to get on the show, but I always, you know, they never they never tell me to quit asking. They they say right. no, you know, but a, a no is better than a don't ever contact me again. Yeah. You know? Um yeah. and so you can keep trying, but you have to do the work first. You have to you have to put energy into the into some people that have larger clout than you. Yep. And you have to give them some value otherwise they're never going to come on my show and I'm never going to get access to their legions of fans. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, my my um, side project right now is if I can figure out a way to get in front of Alexander Payne. Um, he's, you know, he directed Nebraska, like he really loves Nebraska. And my novels yeah. are all set in Nebraska in Omaha. And I am dead set that all of my work is going to, to happen in the places that I live. I'm not going to write something in New York when I don't freaking know anything about New York, but so many people do it. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I would love to get in front of him and be like, hey, man, my book is perfect. You should make it into a movie. It's really quirky, just like all of your stuff is quirky. It's noir, like Nebraska was noir. And um, it, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, Dude, yeah. I, I think I think that's a good I think that's a good strategy, and I think you know what what I when I do pitch my my show as an opportunity for these people to come on that have no they have no there's no value for Rainbow Kitten Surprise or Mark Rebier to come onto my show to right. gain audience that is not yes, exactly happen. yep so so what I frame it to them as look I'm a huge fan uh, I I want to I want I I want to put a respectful light on the things that you're into I'll mm-hmm. do whatever I have to do to make it exactly the way you want it I'll do work yep. for you on the side if that's what it takes I'm not trying to just use you I I, right. I I feel like i know you already because of your, your and i want to give back and this would be a nice fan outreach opportunity for you to show people you know good morning america could cover it you know rainbow kitten surprise comes on small time podcast you know as like a yeah. a charity thing if you will yeah you know and so like that that's how we have to frame it when we're when we're looking upwards you know when our when our aspirations are much higher than where we're at and yep. You know, I've had a couple, you know, the show alone from History Channel, where mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, 10 people go out in the woods with like 10 items and they survive as long as they can on their own. I've had two of their champions on the show. Oh, nice. And one of them came on my show while the same, while the previous season's winner was simultaneously on Joe Rogan, you know? So oh, like wow. that guy never should have come on my show as his first podcast appearance in terms of if he's trying to cash yeah. in on the brand, but I right. still landed, I landed it still. That's amazing. And, and that was really just because I asked him and yep. I, you know, and that's you can't lose that you have to you have to continue to have the courage to ask the worst they can say is yes fuck off don't ever talk to me again okay who cares? <laughs> exactly exactly and then i mean like they, <laughs> what 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 happened there nothing uh yeah exactly i'm not gonna lose any sleep over that maybe I, alexander pan i bet you get on the sh- get him on the show he's not like a doesn't strike me as a big hollywood celebrity type right yeah, exactly. We'll we'll see what happens. I'll I'll let you know when I when I get him yeah. on the show. Yeah, dude. All right, man. Good luck, brother. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Yep. Take care. Bye. Thank 
Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? <laughs>